Morning, Nathaniel. Good morning, Trevin. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. It's a beautiful, beautiful morning we have today. It's quite sunny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nice, see, actually. You can see the Pleasant beautiful walk. sunlight coming off of the, the frosted mm-hmm. frosted uh, yeah. grass. Yeah. yeah. So how did your football team do this week? Mine did well. Yeah? 45 uh, to 15. No way. Who'd they play? The Buffalo Bills. Wait, actually? Yep. Jonathan Taylor scored um, oh, I heard five that. touchdowns. Yeah. yeah. It was awesome. Jesse, well, let's go ahead and introduce our, introduce the our guests. The Lions lost. The Lions lost. Yeah. I know you guys were we, curious. The Lions mm-hmm. lost to Jesse's yeah. team. Oh, oh, okay. So we'll so have to talk about Let's introduce our guest. That's his first name, yeah. as you might have guessed, Jesse. But <laughs> Two in a row. Two in a row. Yeah. Two Jessies. Um, he is near and dear to my heart for many reasons, one of which he is an alma mater from the same college of my mother, Eastern. It's where he got his his graduate degree. Um, he is a the Title Nine coordinator, an avid truck driver, a collector of thoughtful bumper stickers, um, and a, a bluegrass a bluegrass mountain man in the flesh. Mm-hmm. One Mister, um, oh gosh, I forgot Jesse his, Brown. Jesse Brown. <laughs> it's not thanks for having me. Um, not a good look. So you're Cleveland Browns this weekend. Yes. How do you feel about it? Only three point win against the Lions. It was uh, uh, a worrisome game because I, yeah. I I assumed that we needed to score more than thirteen to win. Right. Uh, but Cleveland was the beneficiary of multiple penalties from the Lions, which resulted in first downs. So there were at least three different times in which the Browns or the Lions defense could have gotten off the field but penalties kept them on the field and kept drives going so but only scoring 13 um, made me nervous and um, they certainly did not play well they happened to win but it was uh, it was a bit of a nail biter more than I prefer yeah they um but even though like it the Lions just don't want to win football games right now. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to and I'm going to draw from Mr. Um, Steven Tyler Watson right now. The Lions have been keeping it close. The dam yeah, is but they don't want to win football. The dam is about to burst. The, they don't want to win a football game. Watch I've Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is going to be good. I watched it. Anyways, that's not the topic for today. Yeah, that's true. That's not the topic. So, Jesse, we have gotten to I've gotten to know you a little bit better this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Nathaniel has too. Mm-hmm. What has been this year, one of I feel like you kind of are entering into some uh, new area of of like because you've never led a trip before a lighthouse trip or anything like that. No. What has been some of like the interesting things that have led you to like kind of chasing new passions this year? So lighthouse has been something I've been thinking about for a couple of years. Um, I um, as I've become closer to Chip B and observed some of our trips. Um, I've felt like it's been something I've wanted to be a part of, but I've, I've traveled out of the country only one time, and that was in high school. So I think I've always been a bit cautious to travel overseas. And the more that I've thought about it, the more uh, I don't really have a good reason to not travel mm-hmm. overseas. I think, I've, I think I'm kind of a, I prefer a lot of comforts, and I think I'm, 
a little bit afraid to be out of the country with fewer comforts than what I'm used to. And if if that's my main reason for not traveling out of the country because I don't want to be uncomfortable, then that's not a good enough reason. So I knew Chip and Lighthouse needed leaders. And so I had a conversation with him about mid-August, the end of August, and just said, hey, if you need me to go, I'm here to help. Where do you need me to go? And he recommended Kosovo. And I said, let's go. Uh, sign me up. And so, yeah, gotten to know you a little bit, Trevin, over that, you know, the last couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, really excited to go, getting more and more excited every day as I think about being over there and doing some ministry and um, working alongside of you and the other students that are going. So um, my daughter's going too, which is a, another really cool part of it, to be able to travel overseas with my daughter um, is going to be uh, an added bonus too. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited. We have such a good team. We really do. And and it feels like everyone likes each other uh-huh. and enjoy being around one another. Um, we laugh easily. Um, I think, I, I don't think that the group was very familiar with everyone mm-hmm. prior to our first meetings for the trip. Yeah, for sure. And, but since we've been together, it feels like, um, yeah, there's just people have gotten closer together. You know, nicknames are being thrown around and laughter's being thrown around and people are starting to really get really comfortable with one another. And it feels like it feels like a really good group. It's going to be thrust into some situations, you know, in another country six or seven hours ahead of time, you know, in another time zone. And it, I feel very comfortable that we're going to be able to navigate whatever challenges come our way um, a lot because we just enjoy one another and it's not um, it's not hard to work with one another. Mm-hmm. So I feel very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you went to Eastern um, mm-hmm. for your master's and mm-hmm. I know that we had talked briefly in the beginning of the year and you had talked about how it was um, – kind of eye-opening um, yeah. in some ways. And I was wondering if you would be willing to speak a little more on kind of like how you got there and then also like kind of what happened to you over, because you're doing your master's there, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I went to undergrad at Valley Forge Christians College, which is in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And while I was there, uh, discovered I really wanted to get in student development. I was going to mm-hmm. be in church ministry, but learned that college-age work and working on a college feels a lot like church ministry, but just with college age students and college really changed my life. And so I went to Eastern because, uh, they had a master's program in student development. And so I didn't really know hardly anything about Eastern college at the time and went to Eastern because of the student development degree. So it was about 40 minutes away from Valley Forge. So I I also wanted to stay in the area. I really Mm -hmm became very connected to the East Coast. I enjoyed being there. And so four years in at uh, four years at Valley Forge and then two more years at, at Eastern, it just felt like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got there, I was introduced to another sort of faithful person that was action-oriented. Um, I think 
where I had grown up, the most important actions you could do were verbal evangelism. So yeah. inviting people to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I got to Eastern, there were people who evangelized in different ways through feeding people and clothing people and being near people. And that was a new um, a new form of of um, incarnational presence with people that I was uh, that I was unaware of, and so I think of that a lot of that came certainly through a lot of e- Eastern's ethos and theology, but I also know people like Tony Campolo. Um, right before I went there, Shane Claiborne was there, and they had a group called this, um, you know, um, Yacht, which was a youth against complacency and homeless today. And so they had these these students that would go out and serve. And it just was exciting for me to see another type of of sharing the gospel without using words, but using actions to do so. And so that was just a new eye-opening experience for me. And, And Eastern really did that well. And so I observed these students and would be a part of those things. And so um, and certainly we would need to, when we needed to use words, we use words, but we also just used actions and just cared for, cared for people. And, um, and so that was a new way to serve that I was unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. So then what kind of brought you to Taylor as you were kind of falling in love with the East coast? Cause it's not, right. it's not the East coast. No, this is not. No. Um, so um, in the spring of 99, I was graduating from Eastern. And then that summer, my wife and I were going to get married. And so we were both from Akron, Ohio. And so we looked at schools in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and <coughs> Indiana. And so I applied to probably 25 schools in those three states because we just were trying to stay near to our families and mm-hmm. um, was given a opportunity to work at Huntington College. So I went to Huntington College in 99. Um, and worked there until 2017, and had friendships with people at Taylor, um, Steve Austin and Jeff Hopperly and Kelly Yorty and Brad Bowser, and mm-hmm. um, I had um, interacted with Skip Trudeau and uh, people over time, uh, Troy T. Berry and, and other folks that just had a connection to Taylor over time. And then in the fall of 2016, I think it was, um, the dean of students, Steve Morley, departed uh, Taylor and um, talked with my wife and talked with friends here and applied and um, was offered the position in the spring and came to Taylor in the summer of 2017. And so mm-hmm. we've been here since 2017. Um, yeah, so I think part of it just was uh, I'd observed Taylor over time, felt like they were really great um, institution, a lot of good people. And I think also at the time at Huntington, I felt like I was ready for a different challenge. And, um, when this opportunity presented itself, uh, I walked through it as far as it could go. And, it, and, uh, it, it, the farther it went, um, resulted in me being here. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, this is my, this is my fifth year here. So I feel more and more comfortable every day, just getting to know the culture and getting to know the people and the type of student and 
and even even recognizing names, historic names over and over over time. So getting to realize how people are connected to one another has been been interesting. But um, I enjoy being here and uh, really grateful for the opportunity to be here. Yeah. Were you also the dean of students at Huntington? Yeah, my last few years I was the dean of students there. Um, did some work with Title IX, um, but also at Huntington was working primarily. I also did residence life, and they had a, um, a similar Act 6 program called Horizon, so I worked pretty closely with that program. So uh, coming to Taylor, um, working alongside of Residence Life in the Counseling Center um, and doing Title IX, those are my primary responsibilities now in COVID, yeah. whatever student-related COVID right. concerns. So, um, so that has, I mean, obviously – you have a quite difficult job with uh, Title IX situations and just being the dean of students, you get to hear, you get to deal with a lot of students in discipline. And um, there was that one overheard at TU post that you you comment on yeah, about, right. oh, I'm glad that you're hanging out with Jesse Brown because you want to, not because you have to. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, speak on like how like being in a difficult job Mm-hmm. impacts like because like that has i feel like has to impact your relationship with students at some like at some level sure and like just like being in a job that nobody really wants to do like yeah. how do you handle that yeah so i think what i i see my i see my responsibilities the the student conduct and the title nine as primarily as a form of 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 accountability and reflection and so i take i take that I take great care in doing that. And so um, we have these expectations of being in community, whether it's from Title IX or Life Together Covenant. And when students act outside of those expectations, then there there needs to be accountability um, to remind people what the expectations are. And then along with that is this, um, to me, it's, it's, it's really critical to reflect, to, to think about, the factors that led to a student making that choice or if they didn't think about it at all, think about it now. And so I see my role as uh, coming alongside of students and helping in those times of accountability and reflection. And I I try to do it in a way that's kind. I I don't do it in a way that is uh, heavy-handed or... um, uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, I'm not shame inducing. Um, I, I try to have conversations in a very calm, respectful way to, um, remind students of what our expectations are, um, help them think through what do they need to do differently? Um, if anything, um, I think with title nine, there's, there's some additional pieces there. I, I, I think, um, it's important for our students to understand how to have consensual relationships with one another. And so, and when those don't occur, um, we've got uh, a process called Title IX that helps navigate um, non-consensual interactions. And sometimes those are, those are, those can often be very personal and uh, harmful to people. And so, Sometimes the stakes are a little bit higher, mm-hmm. um, and some sometimes those conversations can be a little bit more tense, simply because of um, 
the severity of the actions between two people. Um, you know, I, I think working with students, I, um, I'm usually uncertain if students want to be around me or talk right. to me or not. So I, I'm never quite sure. So, right. um, I, 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 I got into student development um, not anticipating spending the majority of my time navigating sexual misconduct or st- student conduct issues. I got into it because I enjoy students and I like having conversations about faith and I like the liberal arts. I like theology. I like talking about, you know, I I, I love the changes that go on in a person's spirit you know, when they're 20 years old, and I like being a part of that. Um, so that's why I got into student development. Um, I'm always trying to have those kinds of conversations with students. Um, and so I, um, I appreciate having conversations with students, no matter what the circumstances are, you know, but I, but I also, not every conversation I have has to do with uh, the ping pong table above the entryway of the Boren Center or <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, somebody being on the roof or something sexual misconduct. And so um, I, you know, I welcome the conversations like this or conversations about going to Kosovo or something that happened in chapel or um, the spring of 2020 or the election or whatever it is that students want to talk about. I, I like having all those talks. Um I think at the end of the day, I recognize the importance of what my job is on campus and what part I play in the whole picture of Taylor University. And I just try to do my job well. Um, and if it makes, if it frees up other people to do their part of the their responsibilities here, then that makes it easier for them to do that part and I'll do my part. And in the end, we all uh, plant and water and harvest and whatever role we need to do, mm-hmm. we do at that time. So even in the end of that question, you started to use some imagery of trees. Um, Sure. And so I was wondering what kind of, because I feel like we kind of have a little bit of a bond in terms of we both love to be outside. Yeah. Um, And I was just wondering kind of like when you started to kind of realize that and how that theme is played throughout your life of contemplation outside and being outside. Um, my last couple of years at Huntington, there was a group of us, um, who decided to kind of get a small, get a small farm going. Mm-hmm. And so we got chickens and worms and bees and rabbits. Um, and I really enjoyed being outside caring for the rabbits and the chickens and the bees. Mm-hmm. And I had not typically spent a lot of time outside in situations where I was stewarding things. Um, um, most of my time outside would have been like hiking or running, but here I was like, I can't say I was a farmer. I was more like a hobby farmer, but that really opened something up in me. And about, about that same time I started reading uh, Wendell Berry, mm-hmm. um, started reading a lot of his poetry and a lot of, um, he's an agrarian poet, philosopher, yeah. spends a lot of time ranting about, um, 
how we need more topsoil. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also writes some amazing poetry about was love he and involved in the institute in Kansas. Is that him as well? Like the Good Earth can like Institute in Kansas. I know he has a I book called I mean, the Good he, Earth. He uh, most of my interaction. Mo- I mean, most of my observations of him have been in Kentucky, but he might he might have some connections in Kansas. So okay. he's he's in a little town in Kentucky. Um, um, he he gives off a vibe that he never leaves his yard, but I'm sure he does get out there and travel and yeah. um, and speak and be part of things that are beyond Kentucky. But um, yeah, so I I think being introduced to chickens and eating eggs that I'd never I'd never eaten an egg out of a chicken, you know, that didn't come from the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this huge realization when we um, slaughtered. Uh, 120 chickens that chickens didn't come from the store they actually came from a farm somewhere and that was just a huge revelation to me that I was eating something that was alive 48 hours ago Mm -hmm. and um, and so I that just really introduced the outdoors to me more so so now where we live is we're on five acres Um, it's the, the the house is the former the person who owned the house before us was the head landscape person here at Taylor. And so mm. the yard is just filled with azaleas and holly Beautiful. trees. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. Paul Lightfoot did such an amazing job. And it was one of the main reasons why I wanted to live there. And so I've got all these notes from Paul about the types of trees and mm. how to care for them. Mm. And so. Did he vet you before you were able to buy the house? I I made it very clear to our realtor to tell Paul uh, whatever he's done I'm going to do my best to keep it going mm. so like if if you know whatever if that's a comfort to Paul uh, know that I'm going to do my best to keep pruning and yeah. planting and I know moving. that was a big thing to my father when we were selling our old house because okay. he had we lived in a 150 year old schoolhouse that my dad had bought when it was like just destroyed and so he like restored it and rebuilt yeah. it but he had all these blueprints because at the time he was studying architecture when he first bought it. So he has all these blueprints of all the stuff that he eventually wanted to do. Yeah. And so when we were selling it, he posted them all on like, so like we had like a blueprint of like, we were going to build a skywalk of an extension to the garage, which Mm -hmm. is a separate building. And he would like put that there. He would put out like the blueprint for like the add on that he wanted on one side. And he said he wouldn't sell the house to someone who didn't take the blueprint seriously. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, I, Paul had a vision for the yard, and so I tried to just maintain that and care for it and cultivate it. And mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, the we've only you know pruned things that needed to be pruned, and and so I, I think just that connection to that, you know, I, I got a good chainsaw, and I, I enjoy splitting wood. I enjoy being outside. I enjoy having a fire outside. I enjoy listening to the the crickets and the frogs and the birds mm-hmm. and. And so where we're at, we've got chickens and rabbits. We had rabbits. Um, we had a beehive. It didn't make it through the winter. Um, but, you know, we do we do spend time outside. And So for rabbits, are, is yeah. there like a certain utility for it, or is it more of just for kind of enjoying Our first, having the, Yeah, the first group we had, we, we uh, showed at 4-H. My, my two okay. oldest showed them at 4-H. Um, they were also just funny creatures. We had a, <laughs> a giant... Um, a giant rabbit named Professor Acorn, um, <laughs> and this rabbit was probably thirty pounds. I mean, no it was just a, it was a huge, 
huge rabbit and um, I can't think of the name of it right now, but she was just an amazing and she would, she would come over and sniff you and say hi. And um, she'd kind of pound her foot. Um, And then the others were just kind of cool little, we had a lion head rabbit, which it was just this little gray fluffy rabbit with like a, an extra amount of fluff around its collar that made it look hmm. like a lion, but it's like a two pound gray rabbit. And we had some other rabbits, a little black and white one named Malachi and another brown one. And so I think most, most of them were for show, but some of them were just pets just yeah. to, just to have pets and um, have something to care for. Yeah. So we didn't, we didn't eat them. They were more just for our enjoyment pets. Mm-hmm. So so I feel like one of the things that you are very passionate about is race relations. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, not that like shocked me, but I was like, wow, like he is really like hit me that like you have done a lot of research and you've mm-hmm. read a lot of books and you have listened to a lot of different people. Um, what has gotten you, because I think especially for like white people, there there's kind of like a moment that changes or something that like mm-hmm. you don't really like and I've heard you say this, like there's a time that you realize you're white, mm-hmm. um, especially a white man. So what kind of like led you to that realization and uh, what took you there to so, that journey? Sure. When I was in, uh, I would say when I was in grad school at, at Eastern, it was in the first couple of weeks, I was introduced to an article written by Peggy McIntosh, and I think 1988, called Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. So it was a conversation about privilege. And it was the first time I'd ever been introduced to that term um, and that word. And so I, um, it was a student development theory class. And in it, it became, um, being introduced to that idea really became a before and after for me. Um, it really became a moment where I discovered that I was a white person and that, that that I was a raced person, that I was someone that race wasn't something that just belonged to uh, other people, but I too was a raced person. And so I, it, it became a moment that was, like I said, it was kind of a, a before and after. Um, when I read that article, I felt like I needed to respond to this concept of privilege and what it meant for me because once I was, once I heard about it, I couldn't just ignore it and pretend like it didn't exist. And so I, um, yeah, I mean, it really became, um, a before and after. And so I, I, one way in which I started studying that was I, I became, a student of Martin Luther King. And so I really began reading a lot about his, his work, his life, nonviolence, the civil rights movement, the modern civil rights movement. And then I became more and more familiar with um, America and in the church in the present day and how, even though we had the civil rights movement, in what ways was racism still a part of the American story, whether it was racism from the past or adaptations to racism in the present that affected, you know, the the United States or affected the church. And, and as I 
thought about that at Eastern and my understanding of the gospel and my understanding of Jesus and my understanding of what Jesus would want us to do, this idea of privilege didn't, it seemed to be inconsistent from, it seemed to be inconsistent with what Jesus was calling me to do. And I, there, there, I couldn't find very many accounts where Jesus was telling us to lean into our privilege or maintain our privilege. Mm-hmm. In fact, like in Philippians 2, there's this idea where Christ himself, when he came down to earth, gave up all the privileges of associated with godly, right. you know, being God. And I felt like that, that seemed to be something that I wanted to move towards but didn't quite know what to do. So I began, yeah, ha- just having a lot of conversations about race, um, having conversations about the the presence of racism in America and where it still is present. Um, and uh, I spent a lot of time having those conversations with white folks, uh, mostly because I am a white person and a lot of environments I was in were primarily white, and so I would just try to have conversations and let people reflect upon different ideas of race or racism. And, um, yeah, and in doing so, I just it just kept happening. And so, and it also became a passion and a, an area of interest. And so, um, yeah, continued to have conversations, uh, wrote, uh, taught some classes at Huntington, um, called uh, Conversations About Race, uh, taught a J-term um, class where we actually used um, a, a map outline from a Taylor faculty here who had taken civil rights trips. Mm-hmm. And so we took civil rights trips probably about 10 times down south. Right. And um, just trying to elevate the conversation <clears throat> about race and racial awareness and then again, working with a lot of white folks, helping them undersee, uh, helping them understand the the role that race plays in their life, and in my life, and what does that mean? Um, and again, not trying to shame people or beat them over the head, but trying to help them navigate the way that race influences their identity in Christ, or just the way that they move around in them. Midwestern culture or even in their church. And so right. just trying to do my best to help people reflect on that and then mm-hmm. see where they're, or if they need to do things different as a result of that. Right. So. Um, we are already at 1035. So let's just go ahead and at, do the finish it up and then we'll okay. play our song and stuff. Sounds good. So, um, so what are some of the, and I guess some of these books some of this stuff might be relevant to what we talked about, but sure. some movies or books, movies and books or TV shows, anything, any form of media that have deeply either impacted your life or ju- you just really love. Yeah. <clears throat> I'd say there's there's been a couple of very profound books that I've been introduced to. That there's a author by the name of Frederick Buechner um, who's written a number of memoirs. He's also written some fiction and some nonfiction. Uh, when I was at Eastern, it was the first time, it was the summer of 98. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I'd ever read a, bo- read a book 
and was disappointed when it was done. And it was a book called The Sacred Journey. And it was, mm-hmm. a, it was a beginning memoir of his life. And I just really loved the way that he was introspective and reflective about his own life where he would see God at work and sometimes when he didn't see God at work. And I remember finishing the book and and wondering whether or not he'd written anything else. And so I you know, looked at the front cover and it turned out he had written about 20 other books. And so I just started it was reading. It a great feeling. Yeah, it was a really <laughs> great feeling. Right, exactly. So I just started reading his work like as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And so I just read everything he had uh, that just, you know, put me on a path of things to read for quite a while. So he had several more memoirs that I just read that were next chapters in his life. What was it about his writing? Um, I had never read somebody who could sort of ring out an experience like he could. Mm. Um, he, you know, he was sit, he would be sitting there and he'd be describing the clock tick. He'd be describing the sun in the room. He'd be describing how he felt sitting in a chair. He'd be thinking about a memory from his childhood all at the same time and then would be able to really take the reader back into that moment as a childhood. He had some pretty tragic things happen to him. It's not that I resonated with the tragedy. It's just that he seemed to capture it really well and to think about it really thoughtfully. In a, uh, he, like I said, he really wrung it out. And um, I, I don't think I had known that I was more uh, introspective or an introvert at that time. But I think that's probably what drew me to it. Like mm-hmm. his ability to sit and ponder his own experience was um, was profound. And, yeah. um, and, and I don't, and he didn't just do it just to like, you know, uh, stare into his memory and just for the heck of it. He was trying to figure out maybe where God was at work or mm. maybe what um, what he was what he was being taught at the time. And so um, there was always an application. But it wasn't like corny, like um, he didn't just attach scripture on the end of something. He, he also went through some very difficult times, and I felt like he was honest. And I remember that being... Uh, uh, refreshing to read about a Christian person suffering and then being honest about it, even their honesty about their suffering, where it wasn't glossed over or minimized or overly, uh, you know, or ignored. And so he had these really challenging things that happened to him. And yet he wrestled with those things and wrestled with God and, and, they continued to walk together as he navigated those dark days in his life. Mm-hmm. And so, and rather, and again, I, I think my assumption would have been that you should just, you know, quote, quote enough scripture or Christian theology that you just kind of work yourself out of it with, you just maybe just ignore the grief or yeah. ignore the suffering. And, and I don't think he did. So I think he looked the suffering straight in the eye and, and with the power of the Holy Spirit kept, kept moving forward and so that was refreshing that he didn't just kind of candy coat something Mm -hmm. thomas merton seven story mountain was pretty similar uh and of course that his his life was pretty fascinating because he also was like a like a wanderer yeah 
I mean, he just wandered all over the place. So like is that his, a memoir of his? Yeah, that's a his memoir. Okay. I mean, he just starts wandering around, and you're like, I didn't even, you know, as like a teenager, just starts yeah, wandering right. around. And, and I, I was like, man, I didn't even know you could wander around that much. Hmm. He's like 16 and like hopping on trains or something like that, yeah. you know, and he's just taken off. Um, but that's also a very intense memoir of his coming to faith. Yeah. I... um have one of the most, I think one of the most beautiful things that you can do, not, okay, I don't know. Well, it's something I really enjoy, um, especially I think with my relationship with my father, since I don't get to see him, I'm not as much proximity to him, is like finding his older things that like he's used. And so one of those is he has his copy from college of No Man is an Island by okay. Thomas Merton. Yeah. And he's not like someone who like is marking up everything, but like he has every every so often he'll just have like one thing underlined and he'll have a tiny little thought next to it Mm -hmm. and it's just so i don't know it's so beautiful to read it and to know that he read this to the point where like it's splitting down the seam i had to go and get it like rebound Mm. but like to see that this that really impacted him to read it and then every once in a while to just have this tiny little insight into like how he perceived it and like have it also be kind of Pretty more or less how I perceive it, but just ever so slightly different. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of the, that was one of the more like I started reading that last year and then this summer, and that was like one of those like another. There was another time where we were moving, and so we were getting rid of a lot of the things, and he just happened to find his um, journal from when he was like his first year of marriage, and it was kind of just like at the time he had just started a building company, and so. Some of it were literally just, like, floor plans. Some of it were to-do lists. Some of them were, like, love letters. And, like, every once in a while, he would just have, like, like a a note that he would write to my mom, like, I'm going to be at the park if you need me. And I don't know. It was just so, I think, powerful to Mm -hmm. see that. But I connected deeply with, like, the No Man is an Island um, when he had that. And and I think what you're talking about, too, is there's, there's a, we're drawn to people's unguardedness. Right. So if you're Mm -hmm. reading your dad's journal and you're reading your dad's notes and, oh, my gosh, my dad just went to the park. Yeah. Or, oh, my gosh, my dad was crazy about my mom. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, my gosh, he just drew this floor plan. Yeah. That's pretty normal. Like your dad's a normal dude. Mm -hmm. And I think I think. And, yeah, we're drawn to people that are um, transparent and vulnerable and normal at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's that's what Beekner was for me. um, certainly that, that Thomas Merton book and, um, yeah, so those, those would certainly be a couple that I, that I would, that were very profound for me. Mm-hmm. So. Any movies? Movies is a bit tougher. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to think of like probably my list of favorite movies is, um, not as much. I really enjoyed watching Dune lately. Uh, ended up reading that. I I enjoyed that a lot. That was a visual film. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was one of the first I'd watched, you know, there's like no jokes in it, right? It's just a very serious, sober, visual uh, film. But I mean, I was drawn in immediately and ended up buying the book, finished the book. Um, I would say though, probably, probably the movies that have made the most profound impact on me are Things like The Incredibles. I love The Incredibles. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I mean, 
I was yeah. not expecting that. Oh, it's <laughs> of all the movies I thought was going to come out, I did oh, not think that I, was. It's one. it's like The Incredibles, <laughs> uh, Storks. Um, yeah, Storks. I, yeah, that I was love like Storks. A, yeah, yeah. It's that's a flashback. Yeah, so like this this redheaded <laughs> child is adopted yeah. by the Storks, and so they just they try to get her connected with her family. Yeah. I cry every time. Like I see the end. I even know what's coming. Like in the, in there, you know, the, I even know what's coming and it makes me cry. Um, but yeah, I mean, Incredibles is like, you know, this is a, this is your family rallying around itself, right? Mm. This is your family rallying and, and you know, your, your discovery of the gifts that you have and, um, discovery that your parents are more than what you thought they were. And all of a sudden they've got all these other, depths to them that you didn't know and Mm -hmm. and discovering you you know the strength of your family or the strength of your sibling who you just are annoyed with and yet they've got this tremendous power um and so um and we saw it at the time when uh, my oldest kids were probably five or six and so i mean when you're five or six years old there's nothing better in the world than being fast Mm, like i don't even know there's nothing else you can there's nothing else you want to do is then be faster than anybody else. And so it, it was also just like, yeah, you know, be fast or invisible or, you know, be strong or be flexible, whatever those things are. Um, yeah, I, I I like that. I, I, I love the Narnia, the Narnia films. Um, I like the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, I like the the probably my favorite movie would be the the Star Wars when we get introduced to uh Finn um mm. and Poe that yeah. one I really like that like one the new trilogy Yeah um Yeah I don't know I I've, I've enjoyed all the Disney Plus um stories that they put That's out awesome. the the uh the Marvel stories um I think those are great. I'm looking forward to. I know Hawkeye comes out tomorrow night, mm. so I, I'm looking forward to watching that. Um, I'd rather read um, a lot than uh, film most of the time. Right. So, music. You guys should all listen to the Weepies, my favorite band of all time, okay. the Weepies. Okay. So you could play some Weepies. Men at Work is good too. Yeah. Um, podcasts. Um. I don't know if I listen to anything exotic. I mean, I really like Radio Lab. Mm. I feel like everybody likes Radio Lab or yeah. Radio Lab, This American Life. You're Radio Lab has this one episode that I distinctly remember. It was the first time I ever drove down to Taylor when I didn't have like a phone. So I print out directions and I accidentally printed out all back roads. I accidentally did the one that avoided highways. Okay. So I was trying to figure it out. And the whole time I was listening to a Radio Lab episode where um, Jad, it was Jad's last mm-hmm. show, or okay. Robert Krolwich's last show. I love that and guy. so Jad had compiled all of, like, he just, because he had, like, the banks of, like, all of the sounds yeah. that he had made. And so he literally had, like, a five-minute segment in it where he just did Robert's different laughs. And he talked about, like, Robert's different laughs. And I've been listening to Radio Lab since I was, like, 10. Yeah. Like, I've grown up on Radio Lab. And I literally started 
crying and I had to pull over yeah. the car because I didn't know where my next turn was. I was confused and frustrated because I was starting to get lost and I didn't yeah. understand that Indiana's roads are all labeled like all their back roads are just numbers and yeah. it's like yep. but the numbers repeat and i was getting so frustrated because i right. just couldn't figure and then it they out. change at the county line it can't yeah, it changes right. at the county line and then i was i couldn't figure it out and i was feeling like i was lost and all i had there was just robert kroll which is laughs for like five minutes and it's I was fantastic like, right, i can do it and it got yeah. me through and i was I i'll have to find that one yeah i mean i i well, I that think, was when they said goodbye to Robert Krolwich. Oh. And that was a that was a tough one. That was a tough one. You know, he's on that list of mine, like, you know, people you want to drink coffee with. Yeah. He's on that list pretty high up. Uh-huh. I think he's a fascinating person. I think he'd be an amazing graduation speaker. Yes. I mean, because I think he's, there's, there's, there's some degree of faith and there's a, there's a, there's a faith in faith and a faith in science at the same mm. time that, uh, yeah, he's just so brilliant. Um, but yeah, I, I remember the one episode where they're trying to weigh the air above us, like yeah. you know, sort of like trying to weigh what a column of air would be directly above mm-hmm. us to the moon or something like that, you know. And I'm like, how in the world do you do that? Well, they figured out how to do that. But yeah, he and Jad Abumrad. I mean, I I have countless trips in the car mm-hmm. listening to them talk, and so I think those are great. Jeff Opperly. Recently introduced me to one called Heavyweights. Yeah. Um, I've also listened to some of the Mars Hill podcast. I'm not very, I didn't, not familiar, I didn't, I'm not a uh, Christian culture follower, so I wasn't terribly familiar with Mars Hill, but I'm listening to the podcast now off and on, so. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. And then I, uh, probably I listen to stuff just about my Cleveland sports teams, so, but. You know, that's kind of a story and grief in itself. Right. So, right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. For sure. Well, it's yeah. been delightful. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure thing. Thanks yeah. for having me. This has been delightful. Mm hmm. Yeah. We are next, just so week, to... next week is probably our last week of the season. Okay. And we have. We don't have anybody during Dead Week? Um, I think he is. Our... We'll no. talk about it. We'll talk yeah, about it. We'll, we'll let you know. We'll keep you informed. Anyways, we'll... Matt Beck next yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> so excited. Yeah. Another so. another Ohioan. Uh-huh. Matt's Matt's very easy to talk to and listen to. I, I enjoy. I you enjoy gotta give him a couple of seconds that. for his laughs to kick in, but it, yeah. it does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm so glad to have gotten to know you too recently. Sure thing. Mm-hmm. It's been awesome. So thanks for joining us. You bet. Yep. Appreciate it.